I'll get quieter and quieter and hungrier and hungrier. Until yeah. <laughs> he just passes out. Quieter? Because I don't want to contribute to the continuing length of the show so I can go eat. Welcome back to another episode of 1980s. Now, the weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hey, guys. Hi, guys. I missed you. I I was about to say the same thing. I missed you because we were not here last week. And so I did not get my weekly dose of Kat and Will, and now I'm basking in it. Right. Basking. Now he's tied off and we're ready to inject ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And after John's good and buzzed, filled with cat and John, hey, go over and check him out on his own podcast, The Gen X Grown Up. Or his YouTube channel. He's not going to get hungry. Yeah, his YouTube What's channel. That? He's not going to get hungry because he's going to get full of us. Oh, that's right. I say cause right. He's, cause he's I'm about to get my fill of you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking before the show that the show's going to be so long. We're going to be, John will be starving by the end of it. Because he eats dinner after the show. Can we say that? We could say Afterwards. That, right? We can say that. So, right? yeah, it's, it's, it's not proprietary information <laughs> that somehow violates your NDA. Well, no, you're allowed true. to say I eat after I record. <laughs> now, John, you All just the eat secrets late. are out now. Damn. <laughs> you just eat late because you're like on a later eating schedule, right? It's not like, like for me, whenever I perform, I don't get hungry until the mm. show's over and then suddenly I'm mm. starving. That's right. Mm. Right. Because here I have mm. to fake like I'm vaguely entertained and amused <laughs> and, 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 and educated and coherent. Mm. And so I don't want to get a full, you know, a full stomach, right? Otherwise right. I would just sit here going, mm. Mm. Are we on podcast? <laughs> I'm so full. So it's like having a fire in your belly, only it's bile. Oh. <laughs> Something it's, like that. It's, hey, on today's show, we're going to be discussing the hungry. so-called... <laughs> no. Solved. Problem solved. The so-called <laughs> Filthy 15. Oh. Mm. Uh, the more than Baker's dozen of songs that uh, the newly formed Parents Music Resource Center deemed emblematic of the music that was corrupting our children in the 1980s. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And ultimately resulted in the parents' advisory label that uh, still is on our, uh, you know, music today. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, before that, though, we're going to review current news stories related to 1980s media, including Stuart Copeland wanted to murder Sting. <laughs> A new Indiana Jones movie, but not really. Uh, the Fall Guy trailer and the <laughs> Ghostbusters Frozen Empire trailer. Yeah. yeah it's got a name now. Yes. And there are show mm-hmm. codes, show code, there are time codes <laughs> huh, in the show notes. If mm-hmm. you want to skip around and you know you do, Aww. but skip around in a way that gets you to cover all the material. Otherwise, you, you know. <laughs> Just, it's like they want to hear the show, but they want to listen yeah. to it on shuffle is what they really want, right? right? The track's out of sequence. Yeah, I feel like, oh, there was that Netflix show that came out, it, I think it came out last year, where you could watch any episode in any order. Mm-hmm. Or watch oh. the episode. Interrogation, in maybe? Is that what it's called? I, I don't remember. The interrogation. I want to pretend it was called I that. Remember. I feel good thinking that. We can pretend that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. apparently sure. there's no way. I, didn't, I only watched like the first one and then I was like, I, I'm not into this. I want mm-hmm. you to tell mm-hmm. me the order. I don't want to have to make up an order. Mm-hmm. It's too much work. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'm here for entertainment, not labor. <laughs> and felt like. <laughs> I didn't get a writing it, credit. Just, <laughs> just going down the line felt like inappropriate too, you know, like I could have just went in the order right. that they were queued up, but that felt wrong. Right. This is oh. funny. That's the exact reason I did not start watching it yeah. because I'm mm. like, 
I'm afraid I'll do it wrong. Like there's, I'm sure there's a best way. So I'm going to yeah. wait till next year. I'll read an article that goes to get the best experience. Watch it. Episode seven, then two, then right. eight. Right. I don't know. So paralyzed mm-hmm. by choice. And I'll just end up not watching it because. So you went with the, to get the best experience. Don't watch it. It's terrible. Just, just don't watch it. I don't want the bad one. So yeah, the only way to make sure I, you don't get the bad one is don't do anything. So I agree. I, I agree. If I'd been inclined, yeah. I would have watched it in the order that it was mm-hmm. presented. Because you'd have watched it one, oh, one through the okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's just how I do it. So but that's not point, right. Or they would have told you. Yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's a lot of effort, Kat. They'd rather you not watch it. Like, like John. Uh, but my point is you could listen, you could use the show notes and jump around. The show will still make sense. It might be better. You might find a better version, write an article about it, and then we'll read it. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. Now, since we were off last week, there could be a lot of news today, but I'm trying to pace it because, again, we got a lot to cover. Even just 15 songs alone are a lot, but... I want to right. tell you guys a little bit about the history of what happened and talk about what's, you know, what's true today as, as a yeah. result of what began back then in the mid-1980s. Yeah. All right. Hey, so speaking of 1980s news, as reported by Ultimate Classic Rock, as I mentioned, Copeland wanted to choke Sting. So Stuart Copeland has revisited <laughs> the police's tumultuous final days, admitting there were times when he wanted to, quote, choke the life out of the police front man. I get it. I know, right? I mean, I don't. This hmm. kind of pairs well with our more recent, uh, our right. recent discussion of staying with, uh, hmm. what was Who the guitarist's was name? Who, so you got uh, your Stuart mm-hmm. Copeland, uh-huh. you got your police, you got your, uh, huh. What was the guitarist's name? Huh. Oh. Copeland's the drummer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guitarist oh, yeah. is. I gotta look this up. We just crap. We just talked about him. We just talked about him. This I, is not crap. I, con- I I honestly do not retain things. I don't. I'm good at looking at it quickly, making it sound like I know what I'm talking about, and then forgetting it mm-hmm. almost immediately. You are really good at that. All of that. Yes. Well, you look that up, and I'll, I'll tell you what happened here. Because by the time the band released their fifth and what was their ultimately their last studio album, Synchronicity, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. within yep. the police had become quote hell on earth, according to Copeland. Uh, he says, quote, it was a very uncomfortable place and we drove each other crazy. Uh, he recalled mm. this during a, a recent interview with the New York Post. Uh, mm-hmm. Quote, we now understand where all the tension came from. Now, he doesn't, in this interview, in this article, say. doesn't say what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. I yeah. want to know. I did some digging to try to just, find it. I couldn't find what he was referring he's to. He's just being polite. It, like, it doesn't gonna, like he's you know, suggesting. Air on dirty laundry. I think he suggests right. those sting was the issue, whatever it was. <gasps> oh, yeah. That's what I read, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he says he's grateful that we got as many as five albums out of Sting. Wait, no, it says Stingo. Oh, Sting! I thought that yeah, might have been a typo. I wasn't Sting-o. sure. Yeah, Stingo. Isn't that what you would call a guy who named himself something cool? Is something goofy out of the something huh. cool? Uh, you call think... yourself badass? Okay, yeah. badass Aruni. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Old Stingo. And I get the feeling, like, I get the feeling Sting is kind of a, hmm. like when I've seen him being himself publicly, yeah. I get it. Like he's, yeah. I think he knows how good he is and doesn't, hmm. doesn't care whose her feelings he hurts, letting you know how good he is. That's the feeling, I, the impression I get. Yeah. I haven't had drinks with the man, but. You're, you're right, John. Even the fact that he named himself would make you want to choke him. So I get, <laughs> I get the sting of you're right. Uh, the drummer further Stingo. noted that much of the discourse between he and Sting stemmed from differing opinions on the band's direction. Ah, uh, yeah. Copeland says, uh, at yeah. first it was collaboration. It became more and more compromised for him, and it got tougher and tougher for him to make those compromises. So clearly, <laughs> look, the next move Sting makes is he has a studio. He has, he has a solo career, rather. 
Yes. After that, you know, and has since. So clearly he, you know, to John's point, he he felt like he could do it all and have it all. Although, Kat, did you find out who the guitarist was? Andy Summers. Oh, yes. Andy Summers. Yes. I know, right? Like when I saw it, oh, of course. Yeah. But when we were talking yeah. about Every Breath You Take, he needed Andy Summers to, yes. to arrange the song right. and the, create the guitar part. So. Exactly. And do you remember, actually, you probably don't. But yep. do you remember I when? <laughs> <laughs> Just established he won't remember. So it was a while ago. We, um, Sting came up in a news item mm-hmm. and he made kind of a disparaging comment about bands, about mm-hmm. how oh, yeah. um, to still be in a band right, was right. immature or unevolved yeah, or right. something like that. Huh? That. Like, doesn't? Yeah, it, you're right. Yeah, it made me think of his mm-hmm. view on collaborating and being part of a team. <laughs> so now we also yeah. understand where all the tension came from, just like Copeland <laughs> says. Oh. Uh, Copeland goes on oh. to say, the times when I came closest to homicide, <laughs> the times when it became absolutely critical that I choked right. the life out of this man, oh my gosh. were when he would come over to me and tell me something about the hi-hat. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine, man. That's amazing. Right. I am the damn drummer. Don't say yeah. a word. But what if it was just a little no? Yeah. No. Right. Yes. Nope. I want to know what the note was. I want to know about timing or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the strength at which he's striking it. Uh, I don't know. In hindsight, the drummer recognizes that he and Sting had differing philosophies, both of which were valid. A quote, Sting was looking for a beautiful place and to create something serene and moving and dare I say intellectual. For me, it was about burning down the house. It's a party. Mm. Now, much like I think about like Duran Duran, the mix of all the different folks that, you know, that chemistry that really created something special. It's got to be though those, the the members of police, including Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland and Sting that created the music, not just Sting alone, that that tension. Yeah. You know, and that do differing philosophies. We know what Sting's solo mm-hmm. albums sound like. Those are fine. You know, I like some of those songs. But The Police is uniquely The Police. I agree. Uh, if you want to yeah. if you want to uh, read the book that is probably going to become Exhibit A in some upcoming murder trial, <laughs> Stuart Copeland's <laughs> Police Diaries, uh, the, the acclaimed, uh, in this new book, uh, the acclaimed drummer recounts the, his career with the famous trio. It's available now and can be ordered in various editions, including signed copies, uh, but check oh. out bookshop.org, our favorite place to get books. Yeah. Because I you think support. that's where we find out exactly why. Mm-hmm. Maybe oh. then we'll find out what, what, what Stingo was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Stingo. It doesn't kiss now, and you outside of the- Have you ever run the thought experiment? Like, I get working mm. with people you don't like at a job. Mm. Okay. But have you run the thought of experiment of what is it like doing something creative with other creatives yeah. And then ultimately getting on one another's nerves, but having to mm-hmm. continue it because it's your livelihood. Oh. So the thought experiment I've done before with Gen X grown up, I'm going to do it here yeah. in 1980s now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm not following it's, entirely, but you're good. It's 18 months in the future. Okay. Uh-huh. 1980s now is now right. the biggest podcast on the planet. Serial <laughs> is buying ads on this show, right? Oh, I mean, I it's the biggest future, thing yes. ever. <laughs> it's a great future, right? Mm-hmm. We're on tour. We're filling oh, arenas. Yeah. People want to see us live. Yes. And we cannot stand one another anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yet we have a tour schedule. This, And if any of us yeah. leaves, it breaks the chemistry. And so we're all like 
Fucking will again mm-hmm. with the, yeah, I'm going to blow the air horn yeah. just to <laughs> shut you up. Well, it's going to be something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't leave like a job. If you hate it, you leave and you get another job. But if yeah. what you're doing right. is a, a collaborative effort and I hear about bands that get in that situation. Oh, sure. And it's like being trapped by an abusive spouse, except <gasps> you really yeah. love the marriage. You just don't like the spouse, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So what must that be like for musicians? You know, that's all I can imagine. It is something that I do and I understand, but mm-hmm. when I run that. I go, can you imagine that kind of like these people like scrappy upstarts who were best friends and built something together, get so successful that ultimately <laughs> they they're, they're at odds. What mm-hmm. would that be like? Have you thought about that before? I've never thought about that and mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. it's impossible here. So I'm mm, done. Okay. Like I'm not, I cannot imagine that. Huh. <laughs> well, but you know, John, I think I've lived it to some extent and you don't have to, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be big, you know? Mm. And sometimes yeah, I, and yeah. I, I'm, this is one of those things that I regret when I was a younger person. Cause I had this mix of not so much anymore. I've kind of evened out with the help of drugs, but the legal ones, <laughs> the, <laughs> When I was in my twenties, I had this mix of like, uh, having like a a lot of self-esteem and no self-esteem or low Mm. self-esteem, you know, I get that having Mm. moments where I thought Mm. I really, you know, I'm really worthy of doing this thing. And then feeling like, how could I, you know, having imposter syndrome. And I was Mm -hmm. in a a comedy sketch group with my buddy, Yuri and two other people. And I thought it was doing really well. We had this great chemistry and I started feeling sure, certainly bigger than I was (laughs) and approached the, you know, the guy who put it us together and wrote a lot of the material and said, you know what? I don't think, I think this is the way the group should be. I don't think mm-hmm. you're should be on stage. Cause you're not very funny on stage, but you're a great, <laughs> I mean, who the fuck was I, you know I mean? This is <laughs> and anyway, it split the group up. We all broke up. after. <sighs> but gotcha. to, yeah, yeah, I don't know, John, does this even remotely what you're talking about? I don't, I don't know. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to get along when, Everything is just kind of a hobby, right? Yeah. Mm. But these bands, they every band, every super group started as a hobby. Unless it was, sure. you know, an assembled Backstreet yeah. Boys kind of, you know, we, we drafted people. But every time I see a huge band that's furious with one another, I'm like, they started in a garage, voluntarily yeah. chose to spend their lives together. They got a little success. And now any little thing that rubbed them the wrong way is amplified yeah. because they're living in under a microscope, you know, Look, nobody's perfect. I have idiosyncrasies. Imagine the one thing you kind of gets on your nerves about me, yeah. the, one of the dozens of things that get on your nerves about me, and then have to deal with it constantly every day, all day, like I can't stand him anymore. But it's for the group. You know, that's the thing that always right. fast. I would love to I would love to find out what that problem's like because I have that, that success. But <laughs> you know, I can't imagine, you know. You want to find out. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, the expectations and the pressure. There's all sudden suddenly all these external things that are yeah, right. um making it obligatory right. it's yeah. not just buddies in a garage anymore i think right. for me i guess my point of my my anecdote was that i don't think it's the fame i think it's how you feel about yourself and when you start feeling like you're better than your co-host mm-hmm. or the people you're working with and it may be external that makes you feel that way you're right john right i guess in my example we weren't making any money and we weren't certainly filling even the, the clubs where we were performing but i started mm-hmm. to feel better then and that was enough uh-huh. for me to be like, I can't do this anymore because mm-hmm. I can't stand you. I realize I can't stand okay. you. Those guys, those other guys are dragging down your career now because they're not doing yeah, it the right I, way. Yeah, I can't pretend. <laughs> I can't pretend anymore. Hey, an, another 1980s news. And as reported by Inside the Magic. And I think Inside mm-hmm. the Magic is hit or miss as far as it's reporting. I think some of it is kind of, uh, you know, doomcock-ish. 
I think that's mm. even a source sometimes of hating on Kathleen Kennedy. I might be wrong. But so when okay. I, I did take this headline with a grain of salt when John sent it over to me, I felt like, all right, this is clickbait. And either John's playing uh, a joke but on me or- it's kind of true. It's <laughs> sort of true. Yeah, but the headline was something to the extent, paraphrasing, Harrison Ford is back for one last indie movie. And you're like, oh, uh, yeah. I know. Well, huh? we, we, we. <laughs> and, and look, you guys remember, in the, in the run-up to Dial of Destiny, Harrison Ford was clear yep. that James Mangold's movie would be his last turn as the character. Yep. And not only that, no one else could play Indy. Character dies with him. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but, now, but now Disney's announced the upcoming premiere of The Dial of Destiny on Disney Plus streaming service. And along with that, we're going to get an entirely new feature-length film featuring Harrison Ford. It's an indie movie of sorts, but it's really one that follows. I love this line. It says, it seems that Lucasfilm and Disney have secretly made a feature documentary. <laughs> secretly? <laughs> I mean, just because they didn't tell you about it inside the magic? Surprise! Are you, are you on the team? I mean, I mean, you could say that at any point, right? They just, uh, I'm trying to think of a new movie. They, did. they just announced there's going to be a live right. action Zelda. I guess they've secretly been working on it. Secretly. Because <laughs> I'm just frowned yeah, about, out about it. Uh, anyway, they're, they're, they're making yeah. a feature documentary on the character and the actor titled Timeless Heroes. Mm -hmm. And they're including it as an incentive for fans who want to see Harrison Ford one more time. Uh, according to Disney, the documentary is, quote, directed by the acclaimed documentary filmmaker, Laurent Belzaru, and it explores Harrison Ford's enduring appeal and his upbringing, including his foray into the entertainment business, his casting in the iconic Indiana Jones franchise, and the impact and inspiration generated by the films. Hey, I, I looked at the trailer for it. Did you guys? I did look at it. Yeah, I looked at the trailer. It looks like a love letter to anyone who likes Harrison Ford. The, the trailer mm -hmm. looks like... I knew he was a movie star when I saw him. He just needed to bring something out in him. He had a whole career before then. The trailer mm -hmm. is just how much we love Harrison Ford, which is tough because he's kind of a gruff dude in person. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm interested to see this curated side of him from all the people that worked with him and get to know him maybe from them. So maybe it'll change my opinion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, uh, the, they say that the, it's going to feature never before seen footage and interviews from Ford, Spielberg, Lucas, the folks behind Indiana Jones, uh, mm -hmm. Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, James Mangold, and many others as well. In the trailer for the new documentary, Spielberg says, Harrison, he's not interchangeable. Other actors cannot fill those shoes. Mm. I'm still hopeful that we could do something. Maybe they're going to wait for him to die, you know, or, or Lucas to pass away. <laughs> or both of them to be on a bus together that careens over a cliff. <laughs> Ooh, wow. That got dark. Nice. I like them both. Wow. That was... Yeah, I was, agree. And, yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of grunting when you said no one can fill the shoes, right? Because everyone says that this is the yeah. last yeah. this. No one will ever do right. this. Mm -hmm. All it takes is time and potential for revenue for those mm. things to change, you know? Right. Yeah. If mm -hmm. enough people who care about it, look, they said about everybody, as soon as all the current actors die, no more TV shows or movies, right? So you, you mm -hmm. couldn't really do that. Eventually, the people that see Harrison Ford as you know, one of the last great movie stars. Well, that's going to be back in, oh, that was back in the, you know, 20th century. That's so long ago. You know, in a hundred years, yeah. they're going to be like, oh, I remember they're going to be like Cary Grant to, uh, is to us, you know, like he's yes. a big deal, but he wasn't one of my heroes. So we don't care about replacing him. But whereas we in the current day would be, you can't replace yeah. him. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah, no, I don't feel so, I don't, and look, as a huge fan of Indiana Jones and even Star Wars, I don't feel so protective about their, those mm -hmm. characters oh. anymore. I know mm -hmm. it was somebody that came out recently that said that they wish they, would, they could be invited to direct a Star Wars film and what they would want to do. I wish I could remember which director it was. It's a well-known director. What he'd want to do is revisit the original characters. 
And it wasn't, oh. it seemed like what he would do is recast them so he'd still be younger. And we'd get some adventures during the, you know, the heyday. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought, yeah, I'm for that. If it's a good story and a good film, mm-hmm. I, yeah. you can, you know, if you get people that are similar in, in, in personality and look enough, I'd be for it. That'd be okay. Mm-hmm. And the same for Indiana Jones. I was excited to see also, because I've seen a ton of these behind the scenes featurettes in particular about Indiana Jones. And there's been some, there were some that they made during the beginnings of behind the scenes uh, specials was Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark was one of the first ones that was yeah. produced. And there's footage in this trailer I do not recognize. I have not seen. And it looks like they mm. cleaned it up. You know, they used their Disney mm. technology to make it, uh, to upscale the resolution of it. It looks fantastic. And we know there's oodles and oodles of footage because they talked about how the way they de-aged him yes. for Dial mm. was to use footage that they had shot of him. Every frame they ever shot him as the character, you know, deleted takes or, you know, trimmed stuff or stuff. So we know right. that's out there. And there's no reason. Look, if this is the last Indiana Jones film or the last time, there's no reason to hold that stuff back any longer. So yeah. right. show it to us. Yeah. So Timeless Heroes and The Dial of Destiny will stream on Disney Plus on December 1st. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching Dial of Destiny again, too. I think I'll just yeah. even like it even more that I'm not mm-hmm. worried about it sucking, you know? So yeah. I saw it the first time. Yeah. I was just like, please don't suck. Please right. don't suck. <laughs> it was stressful. Well, we talked about it right afterwards to say that all of us kind of felt, well, Kat didn't because she, she goes in just clean slate every time. She's ready to love. Mm-hmm. But I felt that I, w- I would like it better in a year when I had none of the baggage of its release, you know? Yes. So, yes, you both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were both falling in that zone. Yeah. We should all watch it again and then talk about it again. <laughs> just like this episode. We're just going to redo something we did a couple years earlier. <laughs> Uh, Hey, speaking of trailers, as reported by Vanity Fair, a trailer for The Fall Guy, Universal's adaptation of the TV series of the same name has dropped. Uh, Did you guys watch the trailer? It looks amusing. Um, Mm -hmm. Adaptation of the TV show? I I don't think so. But it looks like a movie that I would be entertained by. I was intrigued with the... Some of the twists and turns and things they were showing us. It didn't look Fall Guy-ish enough for me. It, right. It, it it was a character who was a stuntman. Yeah. I almost feel like maybe there was a story there and they went, is there anything we can slather on this with nostalgia <laughs> to get people to come and watch this original movie? <laughs> hey, Fall Guy's a thing where a guy was a stuntman because yeah. nothing in the trailer, I could be wrong, but nothing in the trailer looked like the tone I remember the Fall Guy where- right. You know, he was a good-hearted, unassuming guy that was helping with th- things that weren't stunt work by using mm-hmm. his stunt knowledge and whatever. And this yeah. more looks like some kind of a gangster thing and there's life and death and explosions. I'm like, that's, it didn't feel like Fall Guy yeah. enough for me. Yeah, I agree yeah. with both of you in that in that regard. It didn't seem Fall yeah. Guy. And it only is until like the last, I don't know, quarter of the trailer that mm-hmm. they get to the non-Fall Guy stuff, which was the bulk of the TV show. I mean, the bulk of the TV right. show, like John's saying, it was like an A-team kind of thing, helping somebody out mm-hmm. or yep. solving yeah. the crime or whatever, and mm-hmm. using his abilities, you know, to the, whatever extent that meant. Even if it meant just beating somebody's ass because he was good at fighting because he's good at fake fighting. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Amongst but, my skills. And car chases, <laughs> all that kind of stuff was, you know, because it was he was in his wheelhouse. The, and yeah. the very last, like, moments of this, they're like, oh, we need you to solve this mystery. We're hiring you because you're a stuntman and an expert. Oh, had they started with that, maybe I would have thought, okay, I see some more of that connective tissue, but I agree agree. with you. The tone was definitely off. Uh, And maybe they're doing some kind of, they're trying to get new folks in, but I agree with you. I I don't know who this appeals to. If you just call it Fall Guy and you show us this trailer, 
maybe I'll mm. see it, but you're not going to get folks our age to see it because of the name. Yeah. I'm not going to race out to the movie theater on open no, night. No, no need. And I'll, I'll yeah. watch it when it's easy. It's almost yeah. like somebody finished the trailer and they were like, wait a minute, we need a little fall guy. Well, I'll attack yeah. it on the end. <laughs> we forgot this was based on a TV show. One Oof. second. I'll be right back. Oh, shit. <laughs> and they added that last bit. Uh, now, look, uh, that all said, and after I'd seen it, I was like, oh, whatever. But then I read this piece in Vanity Fair and I thought, huh, maybe there's hope for it. And, okay. and this is why, because this okay. is I learned, right. learned this. And just to have everybody on the same page, it stars Ryan Gosling. Everybody knows. So that yeah. is Emily yep. Blunt, as well as Winston yeah. Duke, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Stephanie Sue and Hannah Waddingham. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, earlier this yes. month. Yeah, from Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. And earlier this yeah. month, a Vanity Fair published this feature that uh, talks about the the, re- the reboot and also shared some previously unseen images from the film. So Vanity Fair writes that stunt performers are often the only people on a film set who aren't faking it. That's what filmmaker David Leach wanted to capture in the action comedy, The Fall Guy. Now, David oh. Leach is no, you know, uh, you know, what's the expression? No, something to something. Huh. Um, no stranger. He's no stranger yes. to stunts. <laughs> and not only to direct stunt heavy films like Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2 and Bullet Train. He's got his own experience oh. as a stuntman. He, he was Matt Damon's stuntman in The Bourne Ultimatum, for example. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double in uh, Fight Club uh, oh, and in wow. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. But, and this is where it started getting encouraging for me, is that he grew up loving Lee Majors uh, as oh, the bounty hunting Hollywood okay. stuntman in the 1980s TV show that we're talking about. Okay. So, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> and he's a, you know, a guy of our generation. So he was excited to be able to yeah. bring this to the yeah. big screen. Yes. So maybe this trailer doesn't do it justice in the sense that it's, uh, you know, made by someone who was uh, such a fan of the original show. And he said, now, th- look, this is where it goes a little back and forth. He oh. said his goal was to make the movie, which will be out in, in, in March of next year, absurdly comic. All right. The TV show was not absurdly comic. No. No. Uh, romantic. Uh, if you call, you know, inappropriate passes yeah. at Heather Thomas in a bikini. Okay. And what was it? Mark, was it Marky Post was in there too, I think was early on. Okay. Uh, oh, you're so okay. romantic. Get your hand off my you know, butt. Stuff that wouldn't, uh, stuff that would get you in court for, you know, yes. a hashtag today. That was the yep. romance of the 1980s. Okay. So absurdly uh, romantic, I'm sorry, absurdly comic, romantic and gasp inducing. Uh, but so that's the part was just a little questionable, but he said he also wanted to pay sincere homage to the performers who risk life and limb for the sake of entertainment. And to do that, in the very least, he said, even though they use a lot of CGI now, nowadays, they looked back at the mm-hmm. techniques used during this time period, you know, the, the 80s and before, to find mm-hmm. all the practical ways they could make their stunts real and really do them. Oh, And hired folks cool. who many of the times were, you know, uh, what's the, uh, God, I, words are escaping me. When you're, hmm. you're <laughs> when you have a parent who does something and then a legacy. <laughs> they, oh, hired, yeah. they hired some legacy performers whose, <laughs> you know, parents were the stuntmen of this oh, earlier really? era. That's cool. I love how you're getting to <laughs> the words you want. It's like you're playing taboo with yourself. <laughs> you know what's weird is I'm I'm competitive in this regard. Or I don't want to sound like I'm trying to beat you guys to it. So even though I'm asking for your help, I have to beat you to it. Now if you get it first, get that. that'd be helpful. <laughs> anyway, so I found that encouraging. But uh, you know, again, if it's if it's not the fall guy as we know it, tone or otherwise, and sticking Lee Majors in there. I think he's still with us. That's not going to save it. As a cameo, he is. No. Uh-oh. If you really, really want to save it, 
You need to have Lee Majors sing oh. the theme song. That, that is what you yes. need to make it a fall guy. Okay, yeah. Then it'll be yeah. like, all right, maybe. You know, I could see they have Ryan Gosling singing. So he's, you know, singing Barbie, yeah. singing La La Land. Mm. That's what we need. What we need is Lee Majors in a cameo, but he's at a karaoke bar. Yes. <laughs> singing the fall guy theme. Singing the Fall Guy theme. Yes. I'm the unknown stunt man. Oh, I love yep. that idea. Oh, yes. Amazing. Yeah, see, put me in the writer's and, room. And it's just, yeah, put him in the writer's room ready. And we just see, it's like an establishing shot of him on the stage. And then they just quickly pan mm-hmm. the Gosling and other characters who are having drinks. There you go. No mention right, They don't it. like it. They don't like yeah, it. No, it's right. just, it's happening. Right. Right. It's like Not a background. A it's like a, like a Hitchcock cameo. It's like, well, he's there. We know he's there. It's part of it. Yep. Or maybe they should have him singing uh, one of the songs from Barbie that the Ryan Gosling sang. It's like, oh. you want to take my work? I'll take your work. I'll take, here we go. <laughs> Shit on your movie. <laughs> now here's the story though. This is also, again, the trailer doesn't do this justice. This film is a little more fall guy-ish anyway. It was written by Drew Pierce, who written, wrote a number of other uh, big blockbuster Hollywood movies. And it involves Gosling stuntman being recruited to work on his ex-flame, who's played by Blunt, to help investigate the disappearance of its A-list leading man. Mm. Who is someone that he, for whom he was a stuntman. So they figure, hey, you're a stuntman. You think like this guy. Help mm-hmm. us find him because otherwise our film is going to be shut down. We're going to lose a lot of money. So that sounds like the premise of a Fall Guy episode. I'm, I'm withholding <laughs> judgment, but it yeah. doesn't quite look the part to me. Yeah. Right. You know, you guys know me so well that at some point in the future, like 18 months from now, when a show's really successful, you're going to hate me for mm-hmm. this. <laughs> right, That's right, how right. well you guys know me. <laughs> but like, I like the Barbie movie. And I like, yeah. I, I didn't mind how they cast Ryan Gosling's character and how the Kens and the yeah. men of that world are idiots. That's fine. Right. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a certain quality to the men of the 1980s, which again, might not fly. All of it might not fly today, but we, yeah. then we know what that is. And so to see yeah. Ryan Gosling kind of as a little kind of goof, as a more like the Ken character in these trailers, I'm like, no, I, I don't mind you being a doofus, but right. not here. If the fall guy was anything, he was- he was the Marlboro kind of leading man kind of dude that was super right. suave, super yeah. mm-hmm. confident. He wasn't a goof. He was silly, but not a goof. You know, he yeah. he yeah. would turn it on and off, right? He wasn't, he was self-aware of what he was. Yeah, yeah. And okay. yeah, I, I, that's the tonal thing that I was talking about that feels a little like, oh, good gracious, Emily Blunt. Like he's just kind of like <laughs> flustered and flabbergasted. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's... Yeah. The fall guy is suave. Yeah. Now, if Harrison Ford was playing the fall guy, all right, I'm back in. <laughs> That's a different movie. Because he's got that gruff sex appeal. Whoa. My damn hip again. Oh, damn it. I busted my Star Wars. <laughs> and he's still doing the stunts? Yeah. Well, he's a fall guy. He's a stuntman. Right, you're right. Yeah. I forgot about that part of it. Do you think they could have gotten him to leap for the helicopter, though? Not too sure about Harrison Ford agreeing to that now. <laughs> Maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, well, speaking casting of, problem there. Speaking of trailers, uh, one of the movies that I've been waiting for the trailer to drop has finally arrived, and I'm talking about the new Ghostbusters trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what we've learned now learned is called Frozen mm-hmm. Empire. Have you guys also checked out mm-hmm. this trailer? Chilly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Several times. I love the beginning. I love the opening of the trailer. <laughs> With the, the what do you song. love about the beginning? Yeah. I like I like the song. I liked the the I mean it's just the trailer, of course. Mm-hmm. But it you know, the pacing and how like things kind of come to a grinding mm. frozen halt and and my favorite part was the little do 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 the little piano <laughs> part oh my they gosh. hate that Homer Bernstein <laughs> <laughs> Homer Bernstein theme yeah 
I agree. You, yeah, you, I love it. it what, John, what Kat's referring to is it starts with Banana Bananarama's "Cruel Summer," yes. which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite songs of the '80s. And it must—they must be playing that for a reason. A couple of reasons. One, they want to show us yeah. the summer to contrast with the idea that's going to be frozen. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the hot. color grade of the film, the mm. costumes of the actors, everything to yeah. me feels vintage in an '80s way. There's even yeah. folks wearing clothing and fabrics that seem '80s, which to me is kind of like what John's talked about in the past about. Don't reboot, find a way to mm-hmm. continue. Mm-hmm. Even that mm-hmm. sort of vibe, which felt mm-hmm. to me like Summer on the East Coast, which is, you know, the original Ghostbusters, right. connected yeah. it for me already in a great way. Yeah. My only real beef with Uh-oh. the trailer and the film in general. <laughs> now, it's, it, I, now, I've seen people upset about the first thing that I disagree that people are beefing about is they're like, oh, look, you have Patton Oswalt, you have uh, mm-hmm. Kumal, what's his name? Kumal Dajami, whatever his name is. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And people are like, oh, look, you're just pulling in these big stars to do this thing. Like, pump the brakes. Look back <laughs> to the original Ghostbusters. They pulled in the top comedic stars. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> Winston was going to be Eddie Murphy. They were going right. to pull even more big comic stars. So right. to have a modern Ghostbusters movie start bringing in the biggest comedic stars, perfect sense. I have no problem with that. Yeah. My only pr- the casting, I'm okay. I still hate Pat Oswalt. He's got all the parts that I'll never get in Hollywood <laughs> right. now. But that's the beef. I was gonna say that's the beef. <laughs> that's the beef. No, that's not beef. It's that in the trailer, it's a teaser trailer, I guess. I have not seen the ghost busting. All I'm seeing is the big bad. We see an image of something giant in the shadow in the darkness, and everyone's cold and frozen and terrified. Yeah. It's it's that it's that bootstrap mentality of the ragtag bunch of people who were catching ghosts and taking names Mm -hmm. and it feels a little too organized and a little too focused on a big enemy in a way that kind of Ghostbusters 2 was a little bit I guess and it pushes further down that path that's the thing that concerns me um just tonally is like Mm -hmm. that that feeling the original Ghostbusters that are we don't have our shit together we're just figuring this out (laughs) as we go and still saving the world and it felt a little too cohesive and they had their stuff together that's Mm. that's how it felt from what i saw i wonder if there's going to be another trailer with different stuff oh yeah that will address march or something this is like spring of next year right it's a ways out okay i i I like the final image of that it may may be playing a trick on us but they do make it seem like it's a very enormous uh because of the camera sort of from down the low Mm -hmm. angle a giant (laughs) this big it could be a giant uh, i guess ghost we would say uh yeah creature in this frozen valley that may be very well a street in new york city and they do Mm. cut it together john and i agree with you this is what worried me too is the way they cut it together they make it seem like the marshmallow man all over again the uh, oh. Statue of oh. Liberty versus yeah. whatever that was in the yeah, yeah. one all over again. <laughs> I, I tell you, the coolest reveal for me was the winter Ghostbusters gear. A whole new uniform that we see mm. where they have the red parkas on. I didn't oh. even and know so that. I didn't it's a whole either. new branch of Ghostbusters cosplay is going to be triggered by this movie. I love because it. it's cold. The whole team. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the whole team, there's a shot where they're all in it. And I'm like, oh, it's a whole new uniform. They had winter gear now because they got yeah. cold. How cool is that? Yeah, I did. I did feel like I don't feel like they had their stuff together as much as maybe you feel, John. I think so. I think we might okay. get that, but who knows? I did like mm. that. You know, we did see very briefly a glimpse of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. I do yes. like yes. that Dan Aykroyd's role is still as the historian. He is the guy who's mm. you know mm-hmm. the, has advisor, all the knowledge. Right. 
Yeah. And I'm yeah. glad they didn't just shift that to somebody else, especially that little kid who they were trying to make parallels to with him. He's just a little kid. He's mm-hmm. what was he going to know. Oh, uh, so podcast? I thought that was, yeah, podcast. podcast. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and the Ecto-1 looked great tearing up the asphalt oh. in that shot. I, that, Man, they put a Hemi in that thing. Did you see that fishtail <laughs> and doing a U-turn in the middle of the street in front of the, the fire station? That yeah. thing was it tearing it up. into the garbage on the, yeah, it was, woo. Yeah. Oh, you gotta it's crash into it. If you don't crash into a trash can in Manhattan, why are yeah. you shooting in Manhattan? Right, exactly. Yeah. And That's there's no point. trash cans on the streets in Manhattan anymore. It's all dumpsters down the alley, but mm. it's still fun to see. But no, yeah. oh, it started the long, arduous process of finishing the rest of the episode. That was 1980s news. Hey, our independent podcast is brought to you every week by folks just like you. So if you'd like to help us out, please. Follow us on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share an episode on Facebook. All of these actions just take a moment and are 100% free. But if you'd like to chuck in a buck and help us keep publishing the show week after week, please visit us at 1980snow.com slash support to find out how you can send us a dollar or two. And thank you so much. It means a lot. Are you hungry yet, John? <laughs> we need a meter on the screen. <gasps> Oh, he stopped talking. That means he's already hungry. He's bailing out already. All right. That was one episode. We got to get. <laughs> we got. With the, with the risk of asking him once again what something is called. We got to get him those shakes like the elderly people drink, you know. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> A little protein. Uh, Keep him up. Boost. Yeah. Teamed up. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve, when you give me an sure shaker, we'll be starting. Oh, there you go. There's Harrison. Drinking. Pitching in. That was the sound of an 80 year old man. I'll drink it like Trump. <laughs> two hands. Yeah. It's too heavy. Are you like a Tyrannosaurus Rex drinking glass? Try to drink. Hey, as it's great for the audio podcast, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the filthy 15 and the history surrounding uh, the all, what ultimately led to the parent, huh? You call it par- parental advisory label, also known as the sticker that tells me it's good and dirty and worth my money. Yeah, that's sort of happened. Isn't it? So, yeah. look, just some background. We'll talk about each of the songs and why they were uh, considered controversial. I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on it. And then we'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. about uh, where we're at today. I've, I've did a little bit of reading of uh, some theories as to uh, why songs today may be even more explicit than they were in the 1980s. Mm. Uh, yep. First up, I wanted mm-hmm. to give credit to this book called The Satanic Panic, Pop Cultural Paranoia in the 1980s. Yeah. A lot of my research comes from that uh, chapter uh, written by Lisa Ladeur. Oh, more French. No. She's probably French. <laughs> uh, it's called The Filthy 15 When Venom and King Diamond Met the Washington Wives. <laughs> it's a grabby title like uh, Harrison Ford's back is Indiana Jones. Yeah. But they didn't really meet them. <laughs> right. Anyway, so look, back attention. in 1985, Cindy Lauper and Venom wound up being, Venom is, is credited as being the founder of black metal. Okay. It doesn't get darker mm-hmm. than that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those musical acts were joined by 13 others uh, on the so-called 15, 15, the Filthy 15, a list of songs that the newly formed Parents Music Resource Center, or the PMRC, uh, mm-hmm. deemed a threat to the youth of the 1980s. And, and just some color, because we've talked about this a couple, first of all, we're doing this because a lot of reasons. One, because it's a little easier for me because we did this episode a few years ago before John was on the show. And so I don't have to do as much research. <laughs> but the other reasons is it's come up a couple of times recently when mm-hmm. we were talking yeah. about controversial songs. 
it, we, it, there's been a few times where the the uh, Filthy 15s come up. And so, hey, let's talk about it. Um, but I wanted mm. to mention that it's also reminiscent of some of the conversations we had recently when we talked about uh, Halloween sadism. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the devil made me do it to murder in, from 1981. Right. That's the mm -hmm. basis of that Netflix uh, documentary, The Devil on Trial. Because I think this outrage by this parental group, the reason it was formed, it was born out of the same satanic panic that, you know, had these other cultural concerns, you know, suddenly uh, kicked up by different organizations. Right. Um, and like we mentioned then, this people have been scared of shit going, like, like just going back to the Salem witch trials. <laughs> it's not new. But in mm -hmm. the 80s, there was a, a culmination of a number of different things that were really happening that, you know, gave birth to some urban legends like the Halloween sadists. Mm -hmm. And just were provided this sort of, you know, fuel for this, this fear. It almost gave it like some legitimacy that then mm -hmm. fueled it. So it's like, oh, it's not just like a rumor. It's not just a panic. Like, oh, it, mm -hmm. it must be real. It, it suddenly right. seemed like something worth fighting. Yeah. Like to, well, to the people that were fighting it, but not to yeah, us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Enough to take it, take it to court, kind of fight it, you know, it's like crazy. But in the 1960s, you had the Manson family. That was real. Oh, yeah. You also had something called yeah. the Church of Satan that was a, a created by Anton LaVey, which turns out that's not really a threat to anybody. The, the no. philosophies right. are not about violence. Uh, you had right. the Zodiac well, Killer. In the 70s, mm -hmm. you had the uh, Exorcist, which they claimed was based on a true story. And the Son of Sam. On a recent Facebook Live, I think it was Karen who brought up uh, the, uh, the um, what were they called? The, uh, shoot. Damn, you've been doing this the, the whole 15? time. The, the I don't think 15? I even wrote this down. I'm just trying to do it from memory. Uh, let me see. Did I write this down? Wait. Uh... It's it's the it's the preschool thing. Uh, with the bum, 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 bum. Anyway, whatever. Okay, I'll just back it up. Uh, Karen uh, brought up on a recent uh, oh, recent uh, Facebook Live the McMartin trial, which was something mm -hmm. that was, again, these people were accused of doing satanic rituals at a preschool took years, but everybody was cleared. But that was kicked mm -hmm. off because of this book called Michelle Remembers, where oh, this new, yes. new type of hypnosis was helping this woman, Michelle, remember that she was, uh, as a young child, she observed children being sacrificed and sexual <laughs> assault and Satan was actually there in a fire. All this crazy uh. shit. Now, we should at one point do a whole episode just about that book because it's fucking bonkers and all of it turned out to be bullshit. <laughs> Makes but it fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that reason that we have all this fears of this shit, including, I think, yeah. fear of heavy metal music, which in part leads to the formation of PMRC. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, that said, uh, according to Tipper Gore, who ultimately founded the PMRC, you know, Tipper Gore, the wife of uh, then Senator and then ultimately yeah. Vice President mm -hmm. Al Gore. Mm -hmm. It was one particular 1984 song, which her then 11-year-old daughter was listening yes. to that fueled her anger. Do you remember what it was, Kat? I do. Yeah, okay, right, don't say it. Dar say darling John. Nikki, oh, right? You mm -hmm. oh, oh, you said Purple John. Rain. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I, I knew. It was Purple Rain. You knew. Yeah, yeah. Girl, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 a, which truly is a beautifully filthy song. <laughs> yeah. Just a few years ago, uh, Gore told Tom Tom magazine that her youngest da daughters who were just mm -hmm. eight and six at the time, she bought them purple rain thinking quote, uh, rock and roll. It's fine. And then they came to me and said, mom, listen to this. Her daughters played her darling Nikki <laughs> and with their, for their mother with lyrics describing Nikki quote, masturbating to a magazine. Mm -hmm. I think that story's bullshit. There's no chance he bought Purple Rain for some little kids. Well, you could have. Six and eight year old. You could have. The yeah. part that I call bullshit on yeah. is 
the kids going, Hey mom, listen to this. No. Yes, yes, yes. No. You're like, whatever you do, don't let mom hear this or she'll take it away from us. That's how kids think. That's you're right. Who's narking on themselves? Um, actually I think this song is too dirty for me. Right. (laughs) And if they were anything like me, they were clueless and it just (laughs) didn't even know their heads. Didn't even notice. Just Boy, she loves magazines, this girl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, and in this story, they're not even asking, what does that word mean? Which I also wouldn't believe either, because at six or eight, like Kat's saying, you just assume you don't know a lot of words. Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You don't stop yeah, and ask mm-hmm. about all of them. Anyway, <laughs> Gore, them. Gore felt the, the song in particular was too mature for them at their young ages and decided to return the album, saying, quote, I took it back to the store and said, I didn't know these lyrics were so explicit. And they said, well, you opened it and played it. And I said, well, <laughs> Is there a way you could tell me beforehand? And they said, no. And so that made me angry. <laughs> Susan Baker, who co-founded the PMRC with Core, told Newsweek in 2015 that it was like a virgin that set her off. Whoa. According to Baker, her daughter said, mama, what's a virgin? Here she was still playing with dolls at seven. All right, wait a second. <laughs> How did she hear like a virgin? <laughs> Right. Because she didn't buy the record, did she? Because unlike this yeah, other nonsense about Purple Rain, the, radio. the song's radio. called yeah. Like a Virgin. Right. Even on the back oh, yeah. of the well, album, you could see it says Like a Virgin. But the album itself is called Like a Virgin. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. I see. Yeah, that's your point. <laughs> like like there, was a, there was an advisory right there. It was in yeah. the title. So if you need labels, <laughs> you know it's right. available for that. Also, virgin, that's not a word exclusive to a song right. that, it, you right. know, that that's a church word. Right. <laughs> right. And this is a simile. Something is like a virgin. I don't think it'd be about an actual yes. virgin. Yeah. And also, no. you know. <laughs> a little removed. Yeah. I am not as precious yeah, right. as Gore or, or Baker in these stories. I've that's done great. some monitoring of stuff. But like a virgin wasn't a song sure. I protected my kids from because I love Madonna. Mm-mm. But in my mind, I was prepared. They said, what's a virgin? I would say it's a person who's inexperienced. She's talking about mm-hmm. how, because we talk, we use that for other things too. I, right. yeah. I, I order a virgin margarita when I go to a restaurant. It doesn't mean it didn't have sex. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could just say, never had a boyfriend. Uh, there you go. That's go. enough. See there, well, that's enough. Rookie. She's a rookie. She's, she's a an rookie. amateur. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In his uh, 1989 yeah. memoir, The Real Frank Zappa, and, Z- and Zappa, by the way, we're going to talk about in a moment how he, uh, he, he later, he, he would testify with the uh, at the during the Senate hearings yeah. with the PMRC, okay. but he mm-hmm. questioned Gore's account just like we are. He wrote in that book that he said she had quote bought her eight year old daughter a copy of the soundtrack album to Prince's Purple Rain, an R rated mm-hmm. film which had already generated considerable controversy for its sexual content. For some reason, right. however, she was shocked when their daughters por- pointed out a reference to <laughs> masturbation. Quote, yeah. <laughs> Candy Stroud, a journalist and PMRC spokeswoman, told a more believable story. My from my, uh, okay. senses, to my senses here, saying, mm-hmm. quote, I remember one time one of my kids said, listen to this song, but don't listen to the lyrics, mom. You won't like them. Sure enough, it was some explicit song. I think it was something by Prince. Yeah, that's more true. I've had my kids <laughs> do that kind of thing. <laughs> like, you're not going to like this, but I want to show it to you. It is more of a believable, at least, certainly. So long, not too long after this gore with, with, with Baker that I mentioned, along with Sally uh, Nevius and uh, Ethel Ann Stuckey, who are also who are all spouses of various uh, politicians there in Washington, mm-hmm. formed this Parents Music Resource Center. And they take up a fight that started just two years prior uh, that was started by the National Parent Teacher Association, asking the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, to implement a rating system similar to what we have for films. Uh, it would offer consumers yep. mm-hmm. information about the content of the music. 
Uh, in particular, mm-hmm. Gore said they were most concerned with the more violent, misogynistic kinds of imagery that were marked, that were being marketed at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned, all, their efforts culminate in this, uh, you know, this uh, much publicized Senate hearing to consider the group's proposal. Uh, there, Gore advocated for a, quote, warning label on music products inappropriate for younger children due to explicit sexual or violent lyrics. End quote. Alongside members of the PMRC, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation heard testimony from three popular musicians. Frank Zappa, <laughs> Dee Snyder, and <laughs> John Denver. John Denver. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> One of these things is not like the other thing. Right? Yep. Yeah. And, and they were, when they appeared, they were not like what anybody, anything, none of them were like what, what mm-hmm. was expected. Right. Including right, John right? Denver, we'll get to. But Zappa shows up with short hair. You know, he had that famously long hair and that very distinct yeah. sort of goatee. Scraggly beard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a suit on. In fact, folks wow. uh, commented that his attorney was dressed more inappropriately than Zappa was. <laughs> who, his attorney looked more like uh, Sonny Crockett from uh, My Advice. With, <laughs> nah, nice. with a silver tie, wearing a silver tie. Oh. Uh, <laughs> D. Snyder Welcome appeared without his makeup, which was rare because we mostly had only seen him in, you know, probably live concert footage or the music videos. Mm-hmm. And of course he always had his... Uh, yep iconic yeah. makeup on. And mm-hmm. he explained that he was born and raised a Christian and still adhered to those principles saying, quote, believe it or not, I do not smoke. I do not drink and I do not do drugs. I pride myself on writing songs that are consistent with my above mentioned beliefs, end quote. There you go. And probably the most shocking of all, you know, first surprising that was John Denver because, well, as, as, as Snyder tell, told Newsweek in 2015, he and Zappa had no idea what Denver would say. He's there mm-hmm. to testify, but that doesn't mean he, you don't know whether he's pro or f- anti the PMRC's uh, proposal. Wait, please tell me he yeah. showed up with long scraggly hair and D. <laughs> Snyder's makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> Just ever, everything the other two didn't do, yeah. he adopted. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, according to Snyder, since Denver was, quote, mom, American pie, John Denver, Christmas special, fresh mm-hmm. scrubbed guy, end quote. <laughs> Everyone, ex- everyone expected he'd be on the side of censorship, but then Denver compared the labeling suggestion to Nazi book burning. Holy crap. And per Snyder, quote, you should have seen the committee start running for the hills, end quote. <laughs> so the committee probably didn't know either. Right. But uh, at that moment, Zappa and Snyder started cheering from the halls. Whenever the PMRC and the labeling and stuff comes yeah. up and they start talking mm-hmm. about that now that is, you know, it's now established. The number one thing that people that are on, I would say our side of it, yeah. They will say is like, we'll do some more parenting, you know, do your research, do right. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about this before the show today, it occurred to me that it wasn't so easy back then mm-hmm. to do that sort of research. Now, the obvious ones you mentioned, like a virgin, it's purple rain that's already got, but mm-hmm. you couldn't necessarily <laughs> just go on the internet and sample a song. You couldn't yeah. just, and as I recall, it wasn't until after the PMRC that record stores started to put up listening stations so hmm. that parents could go in before purchasing. Wow, that's a, that raises a question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's an interesting question. But I could imagine the only way a parent could have found out the content of music was to actually buy it. Like this guy said, he wouldn't give your money back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, it wasn't all incumbent upon the parents not parenting. Mm-hmm. Certainly parents love to entertain their children by here. This will shut them up, right? Give them this music they want. And, and maybe they don't do full research, but it wasn't neglectful. Like they, it's not like they didn't take advantage of opportunities they had. Kind of the only way to do it was to go and buy the record probably mm-hmm. prior to the mid eighties, you know? The radio certainly would have provided the hits, but who knows what else is on that album? You, yeah, you, right. There's no way to know without having yeah. it. Yeah. 
I don't know yeah. that uh, Darling Nikki was in the top 10 and was no. getting a lot of heavy airplay. You know, <laughs> no. you wouldn't have known was on there. No. So, uh, right, yeah. 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 Now, ultimately, the RIAA agrees to voluntarily place parental advisory explicit content stickers. You know, you've seen them now dozens of times. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. like, you know, they were created shopping lists for teens in the 1980s. Uh, yeah, it, right. it became the, right. It became a great marketing strategy to underage buyers who, who could mm -hmm. better. In fact, some record companies use it to their advantage and <laughs> would put it on albums that they didn't think would sell so well, even though they were less explicit than albums they weren't putting it on. Oh, so it was completely false advertising. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sure. Right. But um, following the hearing, some of the record companies continued to fight them. Uh, Snyder, uh, the majority of, per Snyder, the majority of fans didn't understand the significance of the labeling proposal. So the fact that uh, it was the record companies and it was a voluntary thing, some folks saw that as a victory because the PRMRC, mm -hmm. you know, they could be advocating for a separate, if, if it's analogous to the movies, it's a separate independent unknown board, right? The MP, mm -hmm. what is it, MPAA? You don't know who yeah, those people yeah. are on that thing. Just, it's unknown. They won't tell you. Yeah. So some folks thought of it as a victory. Hey, they're just going to put mm -hmm. a label and it's voluntary. But Snyder said, no, that, that's still mm -hmm. bad. Uh, even, you know, even if it helped you find out, figure out which albums you wanted to buy, Snyder said that was, quote, bullshit. His concern was that the sticker would be used to segregate records. Mm -hmm. And as he and Zappa also predicted this, Walmart and other companies started refusing to carry any albums that had the sticker on it. Oh, Instead, yeah. Walmart said you had to create a special version that was edited yeah. And, yeah. and free of any of the offending material for them to stock it. So it's kind of like I was telling you about as clean as they want to be with the uh, two live crew. That might even be right. in fact why they have that version. Um, hmm. So stores like Walmart would carry it without issue. Dang. Um, two months, just as an aside, uh, two months after the hearing, Frank Zappa, you know, this is a wild guy. I, I really, I didn't, I don't know much about him. I, I tried listening to his music. I'm not a huge fan, but <laughs> what I, I've seen him, you know, I've seen his testimony. I've seen him perform on a number of different town halls and TV shows talking about this issue. So articulate mm -hmm. and well-versed mm -hmm. and smart. Uh, with regard mm -hmm. to this. Um, but uh, Frank Zappa meets the Mothers of Prevention, a record that he produced, hit the streets just two months after the hearing. And it's the centerpiece of this, of the American edition of this record was a 12 minute song called, or track, I'll say, not song called Porn Wars, which oh. was a collage of testimony from the Senate <laughs> hearing intermingled oh, nice. with uh, some instruments, including leftover under the piano recordings, recordings from Lumpy Gravy. <laughs> now, Kat, you probably know Pain this too, because you've done this before. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Got another I'm not question say for anything. Right? <laughs> I got I'm another question for you. Uh, this, I think this is interesting. So, John, all right, we'll just give you this question. It's not much of a game, but okay. uh, just to make it, just Play so I can me. press buttons. Once again, oh, okay. it's time to play. You're gonna burn it. He <laughs> sounds so <laughs> Right? Yeah, it's not really a game. I, I do like sounds, though. <laughs> Who, here's a trivia question for you, John. Who played okay. drums on Diva Zappa's 1999 track? I, that's the information I should know. Not no uh, idea. Not it was Tipper Gore. <laughs> Tipper Gore Seriously, on a Frank Zappa song. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, was just tambourine. Even though no, full on. She's put it out, put it out. Really? Oh yeah. Huh. Whoa. Uh, she, she, oh. Even though she was forever associated with the PMRC and demonized by many as a result, she went on to become uh, fr friends with the Zappa Zappa and his family. And her, a her and her drummer, yeah, yeah. too? And she, yeah, and she's a serious... <laughs> was she already a drummer? Yes. Right. Apparently she's already was okay. really an accomplished musician and, All right. and okay. fan of music. Okay. All right. Just uh, not wow. dirty music. Uh, and in her defense, <laughs> and in defense of the PMRC, and kind of touching on what John was saying about the parenting thing, to be quite honest, 
and reflecting on this, I have relied on that E hmm. on iTunes yeah. to determine mm-hmm. whether my kids, when they were younger, could listen to tracks or not. Sure. And yeah, it yeah. was easy for me. Yeah. I didn't have to do any research. Mm-hmm. Right. So to that extent, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a great benefit. The mm-hmm. difference is, as we talked about, Apple, and it's still voluntary, these places, mm-hmm. you know, putting that uh, uh, the distinction like that, that you have explicit content is still voluntary by the, by the pr- record uh, producers. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't stopping Apple from putting tracks on there. They created a mechanism for identifying them. In fact, that's the okay. difference. Yeah. If we lived in a world now where it would keep Apple from have, making those songs available, then yeah, I would be against it. Bigger problem. Right? Sure. Well, it for makes sure. things yeah. unavailable to people who otherwise would have access to them simply because they have self-identified as that. And yeah. that's, yeah. that would cause people to not self-identify. If you want honesty, right. don't punish honesty, yes. right? One of the videos I watched was Frank Zappa on a town hall who made that exact point. He said, you yeah. know, look, it, it, with the movies, you can make a movie rated R. And mm-hmm. the actors, everybody knows the actors, director, et cetera, their works for hire. Mm-hmm. They're not, they didn't make a determination of what the R was. You know, they have only a, they have a certain contractual relationship with the content. For records, he said, you've got a person who writes the song, plays the music, and then they get yeah. associated as being filthy or explicit. That goes, right. that's something that's associated with the very person, the individual themselves. That's true. Yeah. So now, you know, branding them yeah. as being X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Fortunately, I suppose, as this issue faded away, of course, they got, you know, they essentially got what they wanted. The focus switched because we were still in this, you know, haze of satanic panic. So then <laughs> literally by the 1980s, the groups are now focusing on what are creating what they call occult cops where <laughs> people are being trained and dispatched to investigate like graveyard vandalism and graffiti. That's oh supposed to be s- satanic. And there's a video that ac- like educates cops what to look for and what means what, and what can we hate next? What can we fear yeah. irrationally next? We, we've cleared this up. No more dirty music. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Hey, let's talk about the songs themselves. Okay. Mm. All right. So here, this is the order in which they appear on the PMRC's Filthy 15. Probably not the most dramatic order for a podcast, but we'll just follow along here. So as we mentioned already, mm-hmm. Prince's Darling Nikki. Yeah. And they categorized mm-hmm. them based on one of four things, whether or not they, they had sex. Well, they called it explicit content, but they were talking about sex. Yeah. Or language. And most, you know, uh, obscenities they're talking about with words are words that, you know, could be uh, sexual in nature, obviously. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. explicit uh, violence, drugs and alcohol, and a cult were the four different uh, categories as they labeled them. So Prince's Darling Nick, Nikki is, the concern is sex. The particular offending lyrics that they cited are, I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this was released uh-huh. on uh, Prince's sixth studio album in 1984. It wasn't, even though it wasn't a single though, it gained popularity as a result of the PMRC calling it out. Mm-hmm. They said this is on, on our list because it has sexual content about a woman masturbating in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People weren't watching the congressional testimony anymore. All of a sudden, homes were empty and record stores were filled. <laughs> All of we're a sudden. Filled. Like, Let's go. Wait, I didn't know that was on the album. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's on Purple please. Rain, by the way. It's, it's For research. Used, the song is used, it's directed toward Apollonia's character after mm-hmm. she decides to work with Prince's uh, rival in the film that's played by mm-hmm. Morris Day. So it's, yeah. It's used as a, you know, an attack of sorts. It's meant to shame her, I think, mm-hmm. right? It's Gotta rewatch that. No, no, you don't. You're good. Trust me. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Listen to the music. It's, just, it's, much better. Oh, yeah. it's That's easy. Um, number two, Sheena Easton. Now, oh, this is the other reason it came up that recently, because we talked oh, about this. Right? Sugar yes. Walls. 
Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Even yeah. just saying that, I feel oh, sugar walls. <laughs> Look, I'm a man. I'm a heterosexual man. I love women. I am attracted to women. Mm-hmm. This but is this sugar walls really puts me off of it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just something really off-putting about it. That's really funny. <laughs> what about it? Is it because of how it just like like it just it makes it so animalistic and so almost formulaic? Like it's there's no um, there's almost no romance in it. It's like. Here's how the uh, ge- geometrics works. Here's the shapes involved. Here's what's going to happen, right? I don't know. It's for me. It's weird. It's like I'm a, a. It's like I'm experiencing something in two different ways at the same time. One, I get the allegory is supposed to be to you know to a. Mm-hmm. According to Wikipedia, it's the euphemism for the lining of a vagina. Right. It's, in one sense, it's that, but in the other sense, mm-hmm. the literal sugar walls. I picture in my mind walls. <laughs> Just dripping down with glistening <laughs> sugar. And those two things right. are. And you know the I metaphor, feel, and now they're blurred. Yes. <laughs> and it's almost like I lean more on the literal one. Like if I was just more to think uh, of it as a euphemism and getting to get into that. But I think probably it was, as I heard this when I was young enough to not necessarily know what it was about, but think mm. maybe it is sugar walls. And that's gross. <laughs> like I don't want, I love sugar. Yeah. I like the structure of a home because it keeps the roof over my head. I don't want the walls to be covered with it. What's this? It's not it's the like, witch's cottage for Gretel Hansel and Gretel, right? Willy Wonka, your internal decorator? It's just like right? yeah. sugar, everything sugar. Sugar, sugar, sugar. The, the offending lines are blood races to your private spots. Let me know, mm-hmm. lets me know there's a fire. You can fight passion when passion is hot. Temperatures rise inside my sugar walls. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, leave very little to the imagination when you say private yep. spots earlier in the song. Uh, it's yeah, the second yeah. single from Sheena Easton's 1984 album, A Private Heaven. It spent 16 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 and peaked at number nine. And although wow. it was written by Prince, it was credited to his mm-hmm. pseudonym, Alexander Nevermind. <laughs> <laughs> now, even though the music video did not contain any racy images... Some broadcasters mm-hmm. refuse to show the video simply because of the lyrics. Because of the lyrics. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, what mm-hmm. I think is, <laughs> if I were Sheena Easton, who, there's an interesting story about Sheena Easton and Prince going on a, on a date, first date, which is just, right? You remember that story? I do. I it's remember just, hearing that it's story. It's crazy. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how I'd feel about this, knowing that the, the, the origin of the song is that uh, Sheena Easton um, is introduced to Prince after she approaches an engineer that they both have in common, Den, Den, uh, David Leonard. Easton asks Leonard, hey, can you ask Prince if he'd want to work with me on a song? Because she's already mm-hmm. been an established singer at that point. And he says yes, and he comes up with sugar walls. Like what is, in his Whoa. mind, what is the connective, you know? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh. Yeah, where so are you going Sheena with that? Easton, I know. I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think maybe they didn't want to air the music video because, you know, if the elderly turn on closed captioning, they might yeah. catch a case of oh. the vapors and go, oh my, oh, I just read what that young lady mm-hmm. was saying. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe some uh, elderly woman would be getting uh, pregnant in, uh, in the senior home. <laughs> Could be. Uh, hey, number three is Judas Priest, oh. Eat Me Alive. This one was tagged for sex and violence. Okay. The offending mm-hmm. line is gut-wrenching frenzy that deranges every joint. I'm going to force you at gunpoint to eat me alive. Huh. Now, while I thought that could be about cannibalism, maybe forced cannibalism, <laughs> Tipper Gore said that uh, she thought it was about oral sex at well, gunpoint. At some point, you dropped the gun, though. 
<laughs> no, you have to eat them strategically. In, in either case, you drop the gun eventually. Just yes. saying. So. You have to force them to eat you strategically from the bottom up. Right. Start with my toes. Yes. The bottom up. Huh. That's right. Extremities first. And they spend a lot of time on the on the on the gluteus maximus. It's gonna take a while. Like John's noodles. Um this is a track from the Certified Platinum Defenders of the Faith, which is the ninth studio album uh, from the English heavy metal band. Uh, according yep. to the guitarist K.K. Downing, the lyrics were intended to be tongue-in-cheek, uh, saying, quote, for us, the song was a bit of fun, but I won't deny that we included it with full knowledge that it would get media attention. It's the 80s equivalent of get your clicks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Number four is Vanity's mm-hmm. Strap on Robbie Baby. Which is also, mm. uh, this was for sex, if you hadn't guessed by now. Again, look, it's right in the title. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> it's not confusing. Okay, let, you know what? This is a good exercise. All right, Eat Me Alive, yeah. Sugar Walls. All right, I, I don't know. Yeah. Could be about a terrible house painter. You never <laughs> know with that one. Just the title is yeah. not, yeah. Not Darling Nikki, explicit. you might necessarily not necessarily know, but it's written no. by Prince, so you can make certain assumptions. No, yes. you can't. Right. Better than 50% mm-hmm. chance there's something in there inappropriate. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, speaking about Prince, uh, Prince, you know, who discovered Vanity, uh, but he didn't write this song, Strap on Robbie Baby. The offending <laughs> lyrics are, don't you provoke me. Come on, stroke me. Strap this thing tight. If you want to glide down my highway, it's open. Strap yourself in and ride. Well, it's, it's about automotive safety and wearing your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Highways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Strapping and, and the byways. And, yeah. You're certain to strap in mm-hmm. at gunpoint. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and this was from Vanity's panned debut album, Wild Animal. And like I mentioned, it wasn't written by Prince. Instead, it was written by her then boyfriend, Robbie Bruce McCann. Uh, and although it was never released at a single, mm-hmm. as a single, it did get some minor airplay on some oh. rock stations. I hadn't been familiar with it except for the fact that it appeared on this list. Yeah, I um, hadn't heard it. As for the song, uh, when Rolling Stone spoke with Vanity in 2015, who returned to using her birth name, Denise Matthews, and sadly she's since passed away. Mm. Uh, she asked her, They asked her about the song on its 30th anniversary. She said, I sing for Jesus now. Oh. This gives me pure joy, worship. I apologize profusely Ooh. to those I have offended deeply a million times over, end quote. Now I only strap on for Jesus. <laughs> strap on for Jesus. I can oh see God. that bumper sticker. <laughs> and maybe it's talking about seatbelts. I'm sure it is. Truck driver, sure drop is. on for Jesus. Drop on for Jesus. Oh my God. I just had an epiphany. Okay. Oh. Literally just this second. Oh, I love that. In the late 80s, yeah. I loved, my parents would take me to flea markets and we wanted the flea markets. And mm-hmm. one of the many things you could do at flea markets was you could you could buy mixtapes. People would make their own mixtapes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That's great. And I remembered this one vendor had mixtapes and the mm-hmm. cover of the tape was just a big 15. Yeah. Oh. And I remember asking, what is it? And he said, that's the list. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh, okay. that's oh the list. Okay, he yeah. had curated a mixtape of the filthy 15. Whoa. And I, I guess like he didn't want to explain it to this, you know, 14 year old, what the list was or anything. He figured I'd know, but he's like, Oh, that's all the songs on the list. I'm like, well, yeah, the list on the liner notes. What are you talking about? He was making a mixtape of just those. Yeah. The, the very songs they wanted people to not expose to. 
they were culminating together and selling <laughs> in my cute. flea market. Convenient. Oh. Did you Wish even buy it, John? No. Well, why would I? I didn't even know what songs were. Like, really? What are you talking about? It's, yeah. you know, I'll I'll buy the Pac-Man Fever album again. It's fine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know what's on there. You like, moms, what's masturbating? Oh, uh, <laughs> do you know what a he sugar was- wall is? <laughs> He was 14. He knew at least oh. what one what at least one of those was. Yeah, sure. I, was, I, was, I was fairly informed. <laughs> Number five is Motley Crue's Bastard, which was for violence. It's from, from Motley Crue's breakthrough album, Shout at the Devil. Mm. The lyrics are, make it quick, blow off his head. Got your neck in the noose. I got nothing to lose. We're really going to screw you. Consider that bastard dead. Sounds like Stuart Copeland. Talking about <laughs> about <Steve. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Say one thing about that high hat again. Say one more thing about the high hat. <laughs> you know where you went? Could you go? You son of a bitch! According to McMars, bastard wasn't a call to violence, but rather it was about quote a certain person that we used to work with that we felt we were stabbed in the back by end quote. You know who you are, Steve. Stingo. You know what's funny is, one of the things you're going to see in this list is how lazy or arbitrary the folks were in putting these lists together. Like this Mm. song, Bastard, is literally off an album called Shout at the Devil. (laughs) There is a song on the album called Shout at the Devil. Shout at the Devil. They picked the song Bastard. Well, as long as you're yelling at the devil, it's fine. You're showing you're in opposition to the devil. That's cool. Oh, that's right. Resistance against the devil. Just don't, don't be mean to anybody. You know, don't, you know, hang them in a noose and stab them in the back. Here's another for you. ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You. Oh. Remember I said that to John earlier before we started recording. That one is for sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lyrics that, that checks out. Are similar I just to, did the math. <laughs> the lyrics are similar to the title with the addition of one metaphor. Uh, let's see if it's oh. better than Sugar Walls. Let oh, me put oh, my okay. love into you, babe. Let me put my love on the mm-hmm. line. Let me put my love into you, babe. Let me cut your cake with my knife. Cake. Mm. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, and the cake now, is now that got so John. sugary. This is this sugar is John's cake. trigger. <laughs> no, cake cake is fine. Okay, I can go with that. Just a general idea, cake. But you don't want to put a knife near it, then. No, no. you're taking me to another place. I just in general don't appreciate anytime, anywhere. Anyone mm-hmm. equates a phallus to yeah. some, other, some other, you know, thing. it's like a chainsaw. No, yeah. it's I'm not. It's I'm like a knife. Gone. No, no, it's not. Mm. It's, it's quite right delicate. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. The cake is also delicate. Let's just. That's right. It's all know. right. Yes. No knifing. No yes. spackling the sugar walls. Just mm. easy. Take it easy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, but this song, <laughs> let me put my love into you, is is uh, from Back in Black. You know the seventh studio album from mm-hmm. from the Australian oh, great. It's the first to yep. feature Brian Johnson following the death of Bon Scott. Oh. It's got to be their biggest album of all time, I, I would imagine. Yeah. It was certified twenty five so. times platinum. Wow! Um, yeah. I found this. <laughs> I found someone on the online trying to, or, or, or not trying. They, they they provided a little summary for what the song is about. This is their, from this, uh, uh, from their subscription. The opening lines describe the speaker's powerful abilities and suggest they are willing and able to deliver pleasure to their partner. In the chorus, the speaker is asking their lover to let them express their love physically and intimately. Intimately. 
The line, let Casting? me cut your cake with my knife, is an obvious metaphor for sexual penetration. But, you know, at least you're asking for consent. I was yeah. going to say, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. How involved. There, there, there's no gunplay involved, at least, right? Right. Among the more confounding entries to the PMRC's Filthy 15 is number seven, Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it. Uh, Which you'll never guess among the four categories that I gave you as a possibility, this one's here for. Explicit, which means sex, basically. Or no. language, I guess. You've got okay. your drugs and alcohol. You've got your no. violence and you've got your occult. Well, that, that's not any of those. It's not any of them. Yeah. No. Well, by process of elimination, they had to have claimed violence because right. it's clearly none of the others. They yeah. did. You're yeah. right, John. Yeah. yeah. And here's okay. the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, here's the lyrics they yeah. cite as offensive. We're Uh-oh. right. Yeah. We're free. Yeah. We'll fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll fight. We'll see. Yeah. What? I guess it's <laughs> Scary. a threat. So violent. Yeah. Right. You could say that at a sports event. We're fighting. The only, <laughs> the only possible negative inference there mm-hmm. is that, well, the fight's going to be violent. <laughs> and you, yeah. But you're mapping that on the, the lyrics, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. say, I'm going to kill you. Right. We're going we're gonna to fight for what we believe in. We're tired of this, but we're not going to take it. We're going to fight for it. Doesn't mean violently. You can. No. Tipper Gore was literally fighting yeah. herself. Right. In the courts. Yes. Thank yes. you. Doesn't mean it's violent. Oh, that's, that one's, that was the first major bullshit of the list. Yeah. <laughs> and this song okay. has been used as, by many political campaigns over the years. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. D. Snyder's asked them, please don't use my song. And sometimes <laughs> asked to quit it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might not have said please even. But Kat, to your yeah. point. Uh, Snyder said uh, uh, that he, he's happy that long after gone, he's gone, quote, any time that the team is down by two uh-huh. or somebody had a bad day at the office, they're going to stand up and sing, we're not going to take it, end quote. So it could be yeah. a, a sports yeah. anthem. Exactly, an anthem. That's exactly what that song yeah. is. It's a rock anthem. It is awesome. It's yeah. from Twister Sisters' album, Stay Hungry, which I had on cassette. Uh-huh. You know, I think it's the cover with him with the giant bone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, the song itself was released as a single in 1984, and it reached 21 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, making it Twisted Sisters' only top 40 single. In addition, mm-hmm. it's also the band's highest-selling single in the U.S., having been certified yep. gold. Awesome. Written by frontman D. Snyder, who I met, whom I mentioned, who again appeared before the PMRC. He cites the glam rock band Slade, which is an amazing band that could have been straight out of the 80s. Come on, feel the noise is actually a Slade song that hmm. Quiet Riot did a cover of. And get this, I hadn't gotten this, I hadn't realized this until I read this. Hmm? And maybe I should try to make this into a game. Let's see if I could do this impromptu game here. All right, all right. Let's <laughs> time once again, it's time to play. You're going to burn in Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I hey, can do this. That's violent. Here. That's very violent of you, that button. It really I'm is. I'm going to have to yeah. sing this year. And the occult. The other inspiration for this song that Snyder cited is a Christmas carol. Now, I'm going to sing, We're Not Going to Take It. You see if you can hear the Christmas carol. Okay. Okay. Let me see. Okay. We're not gonna take it. I'll sing it a little bit more like the cadence of the Christmas carol. Okay. <laughs> if I can, it's got two things at the same time. It's so hard. We're, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> okay. We're not gonna take it. Uh. I really want to get this. <laughs> uh, oh, come all ye faithful. Very good. Wow. <laughs> I had never heard that until I read that. He uh, used oh that in part for his uh, musical inspiration. Oh. All right. Here's another one that's like what John's saying. It's in your mind, right? It's not in the lyrics. 
That's right. So, and this I is just part, said it. You're yeah, thinking it. This is part of the mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> this is part of the problem that Z- Zappa and, and you know Snyder and, and Denver were calling out. Who gets to decide that this is raunchy? Right. You know. All right. So number yeah. eight is Madonna's yeah. dress you up, which is cited as being too sexy. And here's the lyrics: All over your body, all over, all over, from your head down to your toe. Gonna dress you up in mm-hmm. my love. It's sexy. Is yeah. it too sexy? <laughs> I don't think so. Now, mm. the song, uh, by the way, it was, it's from the second studio album, Like a Virgin, again, that's the warning enough if you're really mm-hmm. too, too uh, timid or prudish to <laughs> yeah. hear words. Uh, it was written by, well, it was written by Andrea LaRusso and Peggy Stanzial. It was produced by Nile Rodgers, who also <gasps> played guitar on the track. Yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. it reached number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Of the song, mm-hmm. Tipper Gore said that, quote, a pop culture is morally bankrupt, flagrantly Hmm. licentious, I'll say, or licentious, and utterly materialistic. And Madonna is the worst of all. Wow. (laughs) It's actually the opposite of sexy. Look, I was naked, but she's going to dress me up from my head down to my toe. Mm -hmm. And now we can, now we can hang out. Slow slow your roll, buddy. Let's get dressed with gloves, boots, the whole works. Your head to your toes. Yeah. Now, that might have you. been what they were talking about. Yeah. Like, or it could have been yeah, like, or it could have been the opposite. Gen- I'm going to gender swap it, for John. Right, come into the room. Okay, yeah. Oh, I can see your sugar walls. I'm going to put some clothes <laughs> on you, okay? Because I just don't want your sugar wall. <laughs> and not just britches. I need you covered from head to toe. I love you, honey, but when you, the, I, uh, the way you turn the eyes. But I agree. I mean, when I was younger and thought about that song, I never thought of, I thought of it, an imagery of like getting kisses all over maybe. Sure. You know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's the worst, right? I, maybe you could assume that the love was kisses from head to toe yeah. and then somewhere mm-hmm. in the interim, there would be some, some tomfoolery taking place. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But that's, but, but it's so distantly suggestive. I, this is the, this is my second, this is my runner up for bullshit on the yeah. list. It's, it's so, yeah. it's so innocuous. It's mm-hmm. so, yeah. You got you to gotta work so hard to read something really flagrantly, you know, steamy into that. Yes. Agreed. Now, the remain the remainder of these are a little more cut and dry, except for one that we'll get to a little bit later. Okay. All right. Ooh. Or maybe two that, are, again, are, are, are leave a little room for folks, you know, for their interpretation. Number nine, however, mm-hmm. is Wasp's Animal. Fuck like a beast. Whoa. So. Yep. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Maybe in contrast to uh, dress you up. This one was cited for both sex and violence. And the lyrics are, I'm on the prowl and I watch you closely. I lie waiting for you. I'm the wolf with the sheepskin's clothing. I lick my chops and you're tasting good. I do whatever I want to you. I'll nail your ass to the sheets. A pelvic thrust and the sweat starts to sting you. I fuck like a beast. That's considerably mm. yeah. less subtle than <laughs> dress you up. This is also... Wait, wait, yeah. wait. It's what? time what? to play. You're going to burn in <laughs> Now, Will yeah. and Kat, perhaps you already know yeah. this. Perhaps you don't. But mm. the group what? Wasp, the title mm-hmm. of their band is an acronym. Uh-huh. It's not Wasp like the creature. Right. What does oh. Wasp stand for? I do, um, I do know what they say it stands for. I don't know I if Black, like I don't Blackie know. Lawless ever agreed with this, but yeah. Okay. Mm-mm. I don't think I no? want to know. Good. Go Lay it on me, Will. We are sexual perverts. Oh. Ding! You did it. Very good. Yes. <laughs> so you knew. Or sexually perverted. Yes, oh, something perverted in there. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yep. Okay. Something right in there. Exactly right. Well done, Will. Yeah, thanks. 
That's the Yeah, there you go. All you needed to know Great was that. Great victory there. Yes. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, in my mind, yep. there's something that Blackie Lala said that's not really what it stands for, but I don't remember. But whatever. Ah. I agree. That's what well, that's the, the one I've generally accepted. And yes. even if that wasn't accurate, it was like- yeah. Publicly sort of not known slash known. It's like, so Adidas. it wasn't like, yeah, right, exactly right, right. Even if it wasn't accurate, people knew that and they leaned into it because they knew people thought that. And they're like, great, right. well, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, like like a virgin. Well, if you knew what Wasp stood for, you wouldn't buy the album in the first place. You Dipper. wouldn't. Okay, yeah. and actually uh, I'm misremembering because on the original band's, on the, on the about, <laughs> on the original release of the band's debut album, Wasp, it actually had the words, we are sexual perverts. Inscribed on both sides Did it? of the label. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. Must be yeah. correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> According to the article, an article in Karang, Karang, must be, oh, it has an exclamation point. Karang magazine. Oh. Uh, like Blackie Lawless uh, had a, wrote the song after observing a photo of two lions mating in National Geographic magazine. Oh, he was inspired. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he was masturbating with that magazine. Oh. <laughs> Oh. In a hotel lobby? Yeah. Could be. It, yeah. Hey, right. Number 10 <laughs> is Def Leppard's High and Dry. I also had that ah. on cassette. Um, that was uh, mm-hmm. recited for drugs and alcohol. The lyrics of the song are, I'm not a loner. I'm not a fool. Don't need a reason reason to be cool. I got my whiskey. I got my wine. I got my woman. And this time, the lights are going out. Oh, that's so threatening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to put your lights out. That's, that's- <laughs> it's certainly not explicit, right? It's it's yeah. just a little suggestive. And yeah, yeah. I mean, the alcohol part was like, was alcohol illegal? I mean, it was right. everywhere. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> With regard to Darling Nikki, mm. Frank Zappa said, uh, masturbating was not illegal, so why should this song be? Ah. Mm. Yep. Well, okay. High and Dry is the uh, titular track from the 1981 uh, album by the heavy metal band. Uh, it was ranked number three on VH1's 40 Greatest Metal Songs. I'm surprised about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan, mm. but hmm, to even make a top 40 of a yeah. list is kind of shocking to me. There's no, a lot of good choices three? out there. Hmm? Yeah. Number three? 33. Number three. Oh, th- oh sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I misheard that. A little better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, that in, makes more sense. In 2016, Joe Elliott commented, uh, the lead singer of Def Leppard, that the alcoholic nature of the song... Uh, was uh, as a result of producer Mutt Lang, you know, legendary Mutt Lang, attempting to turn him into a beer-swilling bastard, which he was not oh. in real life. Oh. Mm. Okay. That was number 10. Number okay. 11 is Merciful Fates Into the Coven. Who? Merciful <laughs> Fate. You know. <laughs> no, I heard you. The Danish heavy metal band. Um. <laughs> they were cited for being uh, having a song that was a cult. Yeah, and the lines are cult. suck the blood from this unholy knife. Oh, well, there you go again. Oh, say eh. after ring, me, ding, 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 my ding. soul belongs to Satan. <laughs> now, now you're into my coven. You're Lucifer's child into the coven, Lucifer's child. It's a oh. track from their album Melissa, which was their debut. Uh, originally, mm. it was titled "The Less Controversial Love Criminals," which was intended to be the name of the album too. Mm. Was this a big song in North America at the time? Uh, <laughs> it, it almost. It, it almost feels like this committee went, we got to get a couple on the occult list. Go yeah. listen, to, look for some. Oh, here's an album about some coven. Let's try yeah. this one. And I'm, I'm yeah. imagining uh, when we talked to Larry the Duck, you know, he was talking about they would get crates of records sent over from a, a record yes. store in uh, London because yeah. they didn't have access to certain things. Yeah. <laughs> this had to be in some obscure record shop or, you know, but they yeah. had a crate of this. We just came off the plane or the boat. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, also on the list number twelve is Black Sabbath's "Trashed." This one's uh, for drugs and alcohol. 
Okay. Uh, I knew I wouldn't mm-hmm. make it to make, I knew I wouldn't make it. The car just wouldn't make it. I was turning tires burning. The ground was in my sky. I was laughing. The bitch was trashed and death was in my eye. Is the opening song oh. and the first single from the 1983 album Born Again by the English rock band. Uh, vocalist <laughs> Ian Gillian composed the lyrics to Trash after taking a car belonging to drummer Bill Ward without his permission and crashing it during an alcohol-fueled joyride around the grounds of the recording studio. So it's not even just about alcohol. It's about drinking and driving, which was hot on the yeah, public mind at the time. Yeah, yeah. that should be specific, like uh, irresponsible you know, consumption of alcohol. Right. Th- this is way, way worse from the... You know, my lady and I are going to have a drink and turn the lights out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, instead, it's like, I'm going to get absolutely shit-faced and steal a car and wreck it. That's it's quite a bit different. Yeah. yeah. There's, yes. Yeah, you're right. You it's even like, have theft in there, seems like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gillian recounted the, the, the uh, harrowing tale saying, quote, I did have a small mishap. Having clipped a pile of tires on a previous lap, I ran over one of them on the next and it was instantly flipped, skinning and spinning upside down at a high speed for a great distance along the road until I stopped eventually just inches short of a swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) The owner of the car was not amused by the mishap. Drummer Bill Ward remarked, quote, I went through hell with narcotic and alcohol addiction. And so I take these things real serious now. I'm not saying the song was glamorized, but I prefer not to glamorize it, end quote. Hmm. All right, number one was done here. Number 13, now this is what I was saying to you again. Should this be on here? The Mary Jane Girls in my house. Remember that song? Oh. In my house. Wow. In my I, house. I hope you post that on TikTok. <laughs> now, what Christmas song was that? That was Jingle Bells. I was just thinking, <laughs> that is not Come All You Faithful. No. All Come All You Faithful should be on the list. Yeah, there you go. Right. Number 16. Oh, right? They want a wanga. Little drummer boy, 17. Yes, right. Singing about little boys. Let me play for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Or rumpa whatever. bum yo. <laughs> Bada bing, rumba bum. That's a dice clay routine. It's a new one. I'm working on some new material for dice right now. The Mary Jane girls sang, quote, and you can just make believe when it comes down to making love, I'll satisfy your every need and every fantasy you think up. So I guess they literally say making love and standing satisfied. Okay, I guess it's it's a little less ambiguous than I thought it was because I don't know any of the lyrics. That's just... That just sounds accommodating. I yeah, like those right. lyrics. That's hospitality. Oh, thank you. Yes. That, I want to go to that, that house. That sounds great. Yes. Kind. Are there any sugar walls in this house? Just need to, need to know what, what is the Yelp review on this bed and breakfast? <laughs> just, five stars. Full service. Full five service. stars. <laughs> now, this song was not written by Prince, surprisingly. You, could, uh, you would believe it okay. if I told you it was. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. It Instead, could be. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was uh, you know, written by his, uh, I don't know, his spirit animal, Rick James. Oh. <laughs> his animal, his spirit animal, Rick James. Uh, spirit animal. For the second studio album uh, of the Mary Jane Girls, uh, Only For You. It reached number 10 on both the Billboard Hot 100 and the Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop song charts, peaking at number seven on the Hot 100 in June of 85. Uh, while it's, as I mentioned, we're talking about this because it's on the Filthy 15 uh, due to alleged alleged sexual innuendo. I guess it's a little more than alleged. Mm-hmm. But during the, the VH100 Greatest One Hit Wonders of the 80s show, the group went on record as saying the song is about love, not sex. 
mean, they do say oh. making love, but we know that's a usually mm-hmm. a euphemism for sex. I don't know. Normally. Yeah. I thought surely when you said the group was the Mary Jane girls, it was going to be about drug use. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I even thought right. About that. You know. Maybe that's in some other song on the album. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but this—they needed one to tick the list for sex, so they yeah. just used that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, number fourteen is Venom's "Possessed." Who exactly? Uh, here's the lyrics: uh, We drink the vomit of the priests, make love <laughs> with the dying whore, we suck the blood of the beast, we hold the key to death's door. And hmm. sugar walls freak you out. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is what is sounding really gross, isn't it? We drink the uh, vomit. <laughs> oh. This is uh, the. F- Although making love to the dying whore might just be like like satisfying Don. the last wish that she had. I don't know. I oh, John, please no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find nice things in these lyrics. Oh, with regard no, to, it doesn't. Okay, with regard Guess to uh, in the music video, she knows better. This song being on the P, the uh, Filthy 15 in a 2012 interview for the documentary Metal Evolution Extreme Metal, Venom's drummer revealed he didn't know they had made it on the Filthy 15. Oh, oh really? But when he learned know. that uh, Possessed in particular had made the list, he said, quote, that just sounds lazy to me. That sounds like nobody's listening to enough Venom to find the worst song. <laughs> Oh, wait. The perfect response. The perfect response. Yeah. We've got way worse, y'all. We've got all the categories covered. You think drinking priest vomit is bad? (laughs) Dying whores? Oh, yeah. Uh, And the final song on the Filthy 15, number 15, coming in at number 15, Cindy Lauper's Shebop. What? John. Oh, John doesn't know, Kat. Here's the lyrics. Hey, hey. Okay. I've been thinking of a yeah. new sensation. I'm picking mm-hmm. up good vibrations. Oop, cool. she bop, she bop. Do I want to go out with a lion's roar? Yeah, I want to go south and get me some more. It's the okay. third single from Lopper's debut album, She's So Unusual. It reached number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart in September of 1984. Mm-hmm. It's her third most successfully commercial single after Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Time After Time and was Lopper's mm-hmm. third consecutive top five on the Hot 100. So, John, you've never heard about what this song is? Is that why you don't know about it? Well, that? I guess now listening to it as you describe it, it sounds like a little, it sounds like another round of self-satisfaction going on in this yeah. no. song. Yes. Which, yeah. again, not illegal. <laughs> it's totally yeah, okay to do. <laughs> yeah, and I think- I, I hope. No idea at the time. Uh, uh, hmm? Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, Lauper explained that her producer called her to the studio, insisting she write a song about masturbation because no woman ever had- Insisting, doesn't this, insist look. you write a song about female masturbation? Uh, I don't know. If I were a woman and some man called me, you got to get in here. I need you to write about masturbation because no woman's ever done it. I'd be a little wary. Now she obviously she had a good Creepy. relationship with the producer because she created a you know her third most successful hit off this album certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. She agreed to, to to write the song, but she asked her producer to go to the newsstand you know down on the street there, where mm-hmm. kids is where you used to have to buy magazines. Uh, to yeah. buy a magazine that may serve as a inspiration, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but she, uh, she didn't uh, care for, pl- for Playboy and the like. And instead she purchased a copy of Blue Boy, which she thought was a woman's magazine. Although, in fact, it's a publication for gay men. Oh. It, which she says explains the, the lyric about, uh, well, I see him every night in tight blue jeans in the pages mm-hmm. of a Blue Boy magazine. 
It's literally. Okay. <laughs> literally. But, uh, yeah. There's other mm-hmm. lyrics in here that seem to be to be consistent with the fact that this is about, you know, what I just told you it's about. I'm picking up good vibrations. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, I can't stop messing with the danger zone. <laughs> there you go. Apparently, she wasn't singing about Kenny Loggins. Why danger zone? Metal under tension. Listen to her howl and roll. <laughs> is Danger Zone a sequel to Shebop? Weird. <laughs> and that is all of the Filthy 15. Oh. Ah, boy. Yeah, I don't think I knew about Shebop till like in the last 10 or 15 mm. years, I want to say. Oh, for me, it's the last 10 or 15 minutes. I never thought about <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't remember when. For but. me, I, I would have, 10, if months. I had purchased <laughs> yeah. that cassette from the flea market, I'd have been like, what? Why is this one on the tape? Were they just right. filling out the time on side two? Right. Why? <laughs> yeah, I, I would not have gotten it from that. I mean, that makes mm. sense. The le- You know, if you look into the lyrics. Well, now, just, right. Yes, yeah. They don't jump out like some of the others do. So I found this article written uh, earlier this year by a gentleman named Gary Ger- Gerard Hamilton on some New Zealand online magazine called Stuff. And he asked the question, why does it seem music is becoming a lot more explicit? And we've talked about mm-hmm. this before, you know, mm-hmm. and what seems like hit music. And I don't listen to radio, radio music, but I understand what the hits are based on, you know, Apple and these different places. Mm-hmm. And we've, some of the songs, when we do our little top 10 challenge, there's songs that would not be the top 10 back in the 1980s, but probably because they didn't get radio play because they couldn't. You're not going to hear WAP okay. on Z100 yeah, yeah. in 1987, you know? Right. right. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Right. No. no. Uh, but this is what this, no. uh, this author suggests. One is the hip hop effect. Mm. Uh, so uh, look, even beginning in the 1980s, NWA was, an, uh, 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 John brought this up, was a, uh, was a group that used that label to their advantage. You know, they featured uh-huh. it prominently on the record. All right. Yeah, great. It was the whole album cover, wasn't they, it? It was pretty yeah, much the whole I'm thing. I don't remember. The, uh, we yeah. even had a, a song on that album. It was called like Parental advisory is suggested or something like that uh, on okay. one of their tracks. <laughs> uh, anyway, so hip hop's always been e- explicit. What he suggests is that what has happened is uh, record, uh, record uh, charts rather uh, over time, put R and B and rap in the same charts. Cause they weren't really sure mm. what to do with rap. <laughs> they didn't know what so hip hop and R and B became on the same charts. And what he suggests is there's been sort of a blending of these two genres now. And partly probably because they're trying to compete for each other's audience because there's only limited space on these charts. So you've got rappers mm-hmm. now that harmonize, you know, so they'll do a little rapping and then they sing the chorus. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. got R&B artists who are using more and more explicit lyrics or having rap breaks, you know, on top of mm-hmm. that. So that's mm-hmm. possibly one reason. Um, another suggestion is that music's always been explicit. Now, of course, the counter argument mm-hmm. is, yeah, but they've been clever in their ways about doing it. Mm-hmm. Marvin yeah. Gaye's yeah. sexual right. healing, I don't, Maybe by having the word sexual in it, it would, got, it would have gotten on some list back at the, in the day, but sure, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know what sexual healing means. Uh, well, but- you, you just said the word. Oh. It's, it's, it's how explicit, how overt is it, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's one thing to suggest mm-hmm. things are happening. Mm-hmm. It's another, and I'm not a prude. I'm not like, oh, that's terrible. I'm just like, wow, they're really getting that after it in this song. I mean, they are pulling no punches. Right. And there, there's- like it almost feels like today there is no motivation or reasoning to try to temper or obfuscate right. what's happening in the song. Yeah. Because yeah. Th- 
songs have already gone all as far as you can go. And it's like, well, the bell curve <laughs> right. has been readjusted, right? <laughs> but I have literally, they've already said it in some other songs. So now whatever right. I say is just a derivation of that. So right. the bell is set. So I'm no longer an outlier. I'm now more in the middle of the curve, you know? So That's a really you can good be point. more, yeah. you can be more explicit because everybody's more explicit because- right. That's they push the boundaries, I guess. Right. Yes, yes. Some language is more graphic, and some is mm-hmm. more suggestive, and yeah, there's a whole right. whole range in between there. <laughs> yeah, basically, John yeah. brought up the remaining points all in when you're one concise statement there. No, uh, yeah, including yeah, the sorry. fact that there's been a, <laughs> including the fact that there's just been a societal shift in what we consider yeah. explicit. Um, mm-hmm. psycho- mm-hmm. yep. Psychologist Gene Gene Twenge, I'm going to say, I tried to get Gene on on the show. Uh, a couple oh. of years ago, but never heard back. Hmm. Uh, because Gene wrote a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. And I wanted to talk about uh, that. Interesting. But um, Gene suggests that, or, or Twenge, Twenge suggests that technology has decreased many rules of the past. Quote, more technology just allows people to be more independent. And that's just mm-hmm. been a very, very steady change in the culture in the U.S. and many other countries over the past hundred years. Individualism mm-hmm. is the root of an enormous number of cultural changes that we see today, end quote. Including the fact that you have technology now where you can listen to whatever you want and no one else will necessarily be offended by mm-hmm. it. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Ashanti, a Grammy winner Ashanti said that, quote, this generation has also become kind of numb to it the same way as like, Someone could be bleeding on the floor and someone will be on the phone and just step over that person. We've become t- uh, numb to a lot. And I think music is included. End quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, yeah. in included as far as those technological developments, is just the fact that it makes it easier for more people to produce music. And like, like mm-hmm. we've talked about, yeah. just based on sheer yeah. volume, there's a, more, there's a greater number of explicit songs. And the fact that of you course. can do it on your right. own without those gatekeepers saying you can't put this on the record. Right. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Uh, and and the other the other point being like John mentioned was uh, even through, even earlier that you might just need to do it to go viral and get the clicks. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of music out there. How do you make yourself stand out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. According to I've this, been on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I know what gets yeah. views. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cheat, you, cheat codes. John, John's living off cheat codes on TikTok. <laughs> uh, video games. Uh, 84% of adults 18 to 29 say they at least use at least social media, one social media site, according to 2021 data from Pew. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how we perceive the world, consume the world, et cetera, is intertwined with this uh, technology. So, of course, mm-hmm. folks are going to have to access me through it. Um, and according mm-hmm. to, uh, Cobb Tyner, who's a radio one executive, he said, quote, the best way to get clicks and stream is let me be as wild as I could possibly be. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, there you go. All right. Crazy hey, that's the clicks, long show. Say. Maybe it was two episodes. John's still talking. So we got a few minutes, Kat. You got to just get through this real quick. <laughs> well. Before it's noodle time. These, we don't know how many episodes were brought to you, thanks in part to our early adopters like Karen Flieger and Rick Aww. Parker. And before John can go eat his noodles, we cannot fail to mention a special thank you, especially to our secret of our success level Patreon supporters mm-hmm. like Craig Coletta, okay. Matt Marino, John Henderson. Brandon Greer, Marcus Taylor, Tony Great, and Nick Guillory. Okay. 
John, do you regret one day saying little things after each name? Because now Cat expects you to do it every time. <laughs> no. Okay. No, not at all. All right, just checking in. See, in 18 months, yeah. I will still love that. Okay. Oh. Will you? Okay. But will yeah. John feel obliged to do it? <laughs> Well, he's sick of it. Will doesn't like it today, so he's well on his way to the 18 month window. (laughs) Hey, uh, thanks everybody for their support of the show. And we're talking money, cash money. But these folks, actually, that we Mm. mentioned also support us in so many other ways uh, commenting on Facebook, sharing our our posts, sharing our Mm -hmm. episodes, spreading the love, spreading the word. And you can Mm. do that too. One, give us money. And or (laughs) two, do something else, like comment on a, on a Facebook post, for example, including the fact yeah. that we asked folks what they thought about the Ghostbusters Frozen Kingdom. Is that what it's called? Uh, I think so. I think Frozen so. Empire? No, I forget. Yeah. Face Kingdom. One of those. Right. Frozen. Frozen. <laughs> the next Ghostbusters sequel. And Brandon wrote, I'm definitely interested. I loved Afterlife, but I'm stepping a little lightly with this one for the time being. But yes, definitely interested. It's sort of, uh, uh, you know, like John was saying, be a little cautiously optimistic. Yes. It is Dawn, Empire. You're right. Empire. Damn it. Oh, Frozen Empire. Okay, cool. Uh, Dawn <laughs> writes, awesome. With two exclamation points. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> That's two exclamation <laughs> points. Wow. Is that all caps? Okay, two exclamation points. Which is the equivalent of, of cat, all caps and no exclamation points. Oh, is it? Okay. It's Love the, the afterlife. Words. And the female version mm. of Ghostbusters was okay. It was funny, but a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with regard yeah. to the mm-hmm. Fall Guy trailer, which we also asked folks about, Marcus Reader said, it looks terrible. <laughs> it doesn't seem the writers Don't have watched great. the original yeah. or are even familiar with it. They're just dealing right. with name. Yep. Uh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Hey, we are so thankful that you hung out with us today and we look forward to speaking with you next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. Oh, come all ye faithful.